Amen, huh? You guys sounded good. Thanks for singing. Thanks for worshiping with us this morning. Isaac, thank you. And everybody who's a part of the team this morning. Appreciate you guys leading the way. And um, just everyone who's been a part so far uh, of, our, um, of our worship this morning. Um, just want to echo a little bit of what Marlene was saying earlier. Just our concern and our our, our hearts are, are impacted very deeply by what happens, not just in our own backyards, you know, but just what happens around our world. It's really true what we say. We are a global community, and so you and I um, get, we get images from abroad of, of terrible things, sadly, that occur, and um, so we just want to be aware, and, and as a collective group, as a community, just uh, uh, continue to pray. We know that God is close to those who mourn. Um, he is present with those who suffer. Uh, he does not turn away, but he, he engages. And so um, we take comfort in knowing that indeed someday he will make things right. And we trust and we hope in that. Amen? Amen. So good to be with you here at the bridge. Thank you for being a part of what we do here each Sabbath. Thrilled to have you here. And again, if Andrea and Sebastian are, are watching, hi guys, we're glad that you are doing well. Thanks for letting us know. We'll continue to lift you guys up that you would maybe get a little bit more vacation in too and, uh, and be safe. So uh, would you guys pray with me one more time before we jump into uh, the message today? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for... The gift of Sabbath, the gift of rest, the gift of coming apart and just being in your presence. Thank you for this community. Thank you for the people sitting next to us. Though they may be strangers, Father, we pray that they um, wouldn't be strangers for long. And that perhaps even connections and new community could emerge because we're just gathered in the same place. Father, our hearts are united as one as we think about Paris, as we think about those who wake up to mourning losses this morning. For all those first responders and all those who are given the difficult tasks now of responding, we pray for your insight, for your wisdom, for your spirit to be present there. And Father, may you just move in a very powerful way this morning as you already have through the music. Will you move in this place? Will you speak to our hearts? May your word shine forth. For we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so I got to start off with a little bit of a poll. This is where you get to participate in the message. So I need your, your full engagement here. All right, this is really, really important stuff, by the way. This, this is going to matter greatly. So I need you to chime in. I want to know, I want to know how many of you this morning are the type of people who, when it comes to your gas tank or your gas cage in your car, right, when it drops a little bit below halfway, you freak out, all right? It kind of looks like that. You kind of go, oh, I got to get to the gas station, right? And you, there are people like that who are a little bit, I wouldn't say OCD, but, you know, you're just a little concerned about the gas hand on your gas tank. So when it drops below half, you're like... Just by the way, my wife falls into that category. You're concerned about getting to the gas station. How many of you fall into that category? Raise your hand. Just be honest. It's a community. It's a family. Some of y'all ain't voting. What's... Really? There's that many people? Well, so most of you fall into the second category, which looks like this image. All right? 
There are those of us, there are those of us, all right, who don't pay attention to how much is in there until the light comes on, and then we continue to drive and ignore the little light and ignore where the gauge is, and we think in our minds, and we have the nerve to pray, all right? We have the nerve to pray, dear Lord, please let me make it to the next... But wait, Lord, wait, Lord, I'm going to, I got to stop here and then I'm going to go get some gas, right? And we have the nerve to pray and ask God to help us make it to our destination so that we won't run out of gas and be embarrassed on the side of the road and have to purchase one of these little items right here. Which, by the way, if you stop at 7-Eleven or a quick convenience store, that will cost you a thousand dollars. Because the convenience stores know that there are people like you and me in the second category who wait until you're running on fumes to stop and get gas. And there are those embarrassing occasions. Yes, I am one of those people. By the way, I didn't take a poll. How many of us can relate to the second group? Raise your hands. Lots of hands because y'all were, y'all were totally laughing at that. Yeah, yeah. And I've been embarrassed. My wife will tell you I've had to make that phone call. I've had to go into the 7-Eleven and buy the $1,000 gas can because the convenience stores know that there are people like us. And so we've put a little gas in. Isn't that so embarrassing too? Because people know. <laughs> they laugh at you. And you put the gas in and in your humiliation, you then have to drive to the gas station to fill completely up. It's true. It's true. That's just sort of the way life goes for us at times. We don't pay attention, and then some of us pay too close attention. In either case, it sort of brings about a certain sort of anxiety about whether or not we will make it to our destination. Whether or not we will have enough, in fact, to make it to our destination. So whichever group you happen to fall into, the thing we're primarily concerned with is, will I have enough to make it to where I want to go? Perhaps you can see how the dilemma connects to our own spiritual lives. I think it appropriately reflects kind of where many of us are at times, right? There are those of us who are constantly aware and making sure that we're filling up sort of the spiritual gas tank. We're involved in church. We do things in church. We, we're, we're sort of constantly engaged. People know that they can call upon us and we might very well say yes to something that's happening in church. We'll come. We'll be involved. We're actively engaged, giving, serving, worshiping, fellowshipping, because we're very much aware of how important that spiritual gas tank is. And so we, when we sense that it's dropping a little bit low, we pay attention to it because we want to make sure that we can make it to our destination. All right? You name it. You know, and that isn't to say. You, you name it, and, and those of us who fall in this category, we're always there, right? And it, it doesn't mean that it's a bad thing. It doesn't mean that, that, uh, that we're saying, you know, that you shouldn't be engaged. In fact, that's what we want at church. But we can't deny that to a certain extent, we wonder to ourselves, if I don't stay engaged, if I don't stay involved, if I don't do the fellowshipping and the worshiping and the giving and the serving, could it be that I might find myself running on empty and in jeopardy of not making it to the final destination. 
can't help but think that just a little bit. As pure as our motivation might be when it comes to being engaged and being involved, and that's a good thing, and please get engaged and get involved, not dogging it. I'm just saying in the back of our minds, there's a little bit of a something that's saying, yeah, I got to make sure that I've got enough left in the tank, spiritual tank, to get there. To get there. To make it, man. And then there are, then there are the, the people who run on spiritual fumes, right? There are the people who, who maybe they walk away from some special time in the church and it was just really powerful and it spoke to their hearts and they, they run high octane all the way up here for a little bit and then they begin to sort of slow down and things begin to sort of level out and life becomes more mundane and they begin to realize that they are just not where they were and they're running on these spiritual fumes. They just sort of, you know, and then it seems like just when they're about to stop and, and, and sort of get rid of faith in God altogether, there's one of those spiritual injections that happens again. They ride that one out for a while. Everything's really great, really good. And then they slowly, you know, it's kind of that, that, whole, that whole routine. But nevertheless, they seem to find themselves more consistently running on fumes. And there's that sort of constant nagging anxiety about whether or not I'll have enough to make it. Whether or not I'll actually, you know, there'll there'll be enough left in the tank to get me there. Will I be enough? Will I become enough? Am I enough? Those questions just sort of rattle around in our minds. And we're constantly wondering, will we have enough to make it to the destination? And essentially to make it home, to be with the God who we love. See, the Bible tells this great story. Jesus tells this great story in the book of, in the book of Matthew. And I'll have you go there if you have a Bible or if you have a smartphone. I'll assume you're not looking at Facebook, but that you're actually looking at version, the Bible. But the Bible tells this great story, and I think it represents a remedy for our dilemma. I think it actually will be, as we look at this story, I think it will actually be a place where we can find peace and confidence to know that, in fact, That in fact, maybe we don't have to be enough and perhaps we don't have to have enough. But there is a solution to our anxiety. There is a solution to the nagging frustration about whether or not I'll have enough to make it to the end. It's the story of the rich young man. Some of you have likely heard it because in other books of the Bible, he's referred to as a rich young ruler. But you know the story. It's a rich young man. And uh, I'll sort of put it in terms, in more contemporary terms so that we can all sort of relate to, and I think it's appropriate to do so. But he's a young dude. He's a young guy. We can probably, we can, we can figure out from the passage that he's a young, fairly well-to-do, let's say wealthy guy. And I'm going to call him a millennial, all right? He's just a young millennial guy. What's also true about this guy, and sometimes we, we sort of paint this guy with a bad picture. Sometimes we look at him as sort of a, you know, he's sort of this entitled, kind of snobby little church kid that's got wealth and so forth. And he's really not concerned about much other than his wealth. I don't think that's necessarily true because what we're going to see in just a few minutes is that this guy has a sincere, very authentic Um, very revealing question that he presents to Jesus. But, But ultimately, the question comes back around to the same question that you and I wrestle with, and that is, that is, will I have enough to get to where I want to be? Will I have enough 
to get to where ultimately I am with God at the end. So here's, here's the story, a little bit of a context there. Matthew 19, Jesus is somewhere, and he's, he's, he's there, and this young man approaches him. Again, this is a respectful young church kid. He's a millennial. He's been around church. He understands church. He understands his religion. He understands all the subcultural implications. He's sort of, he's, he's put together, right? He's a lot like a lot of you guys who, who come here to church. 20-something if not younger, you got it together, you know, you know what to say in church, you know how to be, you know how to act. This is sort of that guy. But he approaches Jesus and he says this. Listen to what he says because it speaks to right where you and I are. Matthew nineteen sixteen. Just then a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Here's my translation. What will it take to me, for me to get home because I'm afraid I won't be enough or I won't have enough to ultimately make it to the destination, the paradise, the home with God that I know that I want and that I need and that is meant for me? That's, that's his question, right? And then Jesus responds. This is a little bit more dialogue. I'm not going to read all of the story to you, but listen, they kind of go back and forth because Jesus responds. Jesus says this, keep the commandments. Kid asks, what do I need to do? What do I need to do to get to heaven? He says, keep the commandments. The rich, the rich young guy, the rich millennial says, which ones? Jesus responds, do not murder, do not commit adultery. So Jesus basically says, follow the Ten Commandments. This guy's probably an Adventist, right? So we talk about the commandments a lot. Keep the commandments. You want to get to heaven? Keep the commandments. The young man replies, says, I've kept all the commandments. I've done this, man. I've told the line. I've been a good, solid, young adult in the church, man. I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. I'm fulfilling the role. Jesus then answers. Then Jesus responds with more. And he goes a little bit deeper. Again, begin to think about the implications of what Jesus is going to say to this young man as they relate to you and I making it to where we ultimately want to be, and that is with God, because, God, because Jesus gives some great insights here. He says this in 19, uh, chapter 19, verse 21. He says, Jesus answered, If you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Whoa. Then Jesus says more. He says, then come and follow me. But the response of the young millennial is very interesting. He says, when the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Wow. So he asked the essential question, God, how do I get to the kingdom? Jesus, how do I get to heaven? What must I do? How do I have enough to make it to where I want to be? And Jesus says, well, you really, you want to know. Give up everything you have, give to the poor, come and follow me. And the young man's response is it's devastating because I believe it's a sincere question. I think it comes from pure motives. I think he's authentically seeking out, how do I have enough to get to where I want to be? And so his response is quite tragic. Because he's not willing to accept the answer. He's not willing to accept the fullness, if you will, the fullness of God that would actually get him to where he wants to be. But let's, let's continue on. Now, real quick, we might, we might see this primarily as an indictment on rich people. 
right? Sometimes we read these passages and, and we say, oh, that God's saying the, the rich people are just too hung up on their stuff. Let, let me do this and just sort of redefine a little bit, if you will, or at least broaden the definition of wealthy so that we're all inclusive because most of us would say, hey, I don't fall into the ca- category of rich like this guy, wealthy like this guy. I'm not up there with the Donald Trumps and the, the, the rich, the super wealthy people of the world. But let's expand it just a little bit and say, what if we say, let's say wealthy or rich stands, means access, access. So you and I, you and I have access to so much that makes our lives bad, better, right? If we're hungry, we can stop and go through a drive-thru. If we need something, if we need cash, we can go to an ATM and swipe a card and have money. If I want my favorite song right now on my smartphone, I can click a button and download it right now. Don't do that, right? <laughs> we can do those things. We have access to all sorts of things that make our lives better and much easier. So that puts us all sort of in the same category of wealthy, What it also does is it puts us in the same dilemma as this young man. And it means that we may very well begin to buy into the notion that what I have and what I can acquire, and if I can expand those things, that in fact will give me enough to make it to the end. If I can fill my life with all of these things, if I can fill my life with, with all of the stuff that I can acquire, with the wealth, if I, can, if I have all the access in the, to the world, uh, to, in the world to what I want, then that, then at least at some level I feel like I will have enough. And so the warning from Jesus is that don't, don't put your confidence in those things because ultimately you will find that that isn't Enough. Expand it beyond even wealth and money and material things. There may be a relationship that you find very fulfilling that fills your tank. But ultimately, you'll find that it won't get you to the destination either. It may be something else that's for perhaps, it may be something very, very good. It may be your hyper-religious involvement. It may be the way, it may be your, your academics that you kind of think, man, if I fill my life with and achieve that PhD and, and more degrees, then, then I'll have some level of success and that'll be enough to get me to the end. Who knows what it might be? It might be something a, more, a little bit more illicit, Something that I would never want anyone to find out about. Something that, that in my quiet time I'm constantly confessing to God because it is indeed where I am fulfilled, but it is not the thing that will get me to the final destination. And I constantly find myself struggling and spiritually empty and struggling with the anxiety of whether or not I will have enough, be enough to get to the end. And Jesus, just, Jesus sort of sets the, the warning out there. But if you keep going, if we keep reading, you also see that Jesus gives us hope, man. He doesn't leave us wondering. He doesn't leave us in that sort of weird in-between place of wondering or, or having anxiety about whether or not we will get there. 
But he comes along and he says in Matthew 19, 25, listen to this, because the, the disciples are now kind of thrown off by this whole thing, right? His disciples are there, they're listening, they saw this exchange with the young millennial. Matthew 19, 25, it says, when the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, who then can be saved? Who then, God, can make it to the end? Who can get to the kingdom? If it's, if it's not by doing all the right churchy stuff and it's not because we have the wealth and we have access to all kinds of things, who on earth can get there? And Jesus looks up in verse 26. Jesus looked at them and said, with man this is impossible but with God, all things are possible. So then he lands right at the answer and the thing, that, the thing that will bring peace and confidence to us as we wonder the same thing. Will I have enough? Will I be enough to make it to the end? And Jesus says, with, with man, this is impossible. You will never get there on your own. Regardless of how resourceful you are, regardless of how talented you are, regardless of the resources that you have, you will never get there on your own. It's impossible. Now there's more to that. There's more to what Jesus is really saying because there's quite a bit of depth to what Jesus is saying here because I want you to look at a passage with me real quick. It's 2 Corinthians 5.21. It's not so much that, that Jesus is saying just sort of, you know, in a, in a simplistic way, you know, hey, you're, you're not God. You'll never get there on your own. He's saying, no, you could never even come close to meeting the requirements, if you will, to getting yourself to the place where you want to be. 2 Corinthians 5.21, he begins to talk about what the solution is. He's saying, no, you can never be enough, but I can tell you of one who is enough and the one who makes it possible for you to ultimately get home. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.21, one of the most significant passages on the notion of salvation by faith and substitutionary atonement. 2 Corinthians 5.21, listen to this. God made him... Speaking of Jesus, who had no sin to be sin or to become sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Wow. What is required for us to make it home, you understand, isn't gas in your tank as much as it is righteousness in your life. And there is no righteousness apart from Jesus. In fact, the Bible tells us, we all quote this passage, our righteousness is as filthy rags. So ultimately, what do you need to get to the destination? It's Jesus. So ultimately, is this relationship with Christ. He recognizes, he understands very clearly that you are not enough, you can never be enough, and all of your trying and worrying and fussing and fretting, you are not enough. And I don't say that to put down your ego, but when it comes to the spiritual life, when it comes to arriving at home with the Father, you are not enough. But you know what? There is one who is enough, who was enough. And who invites you, like he did this rich young man, to come. 
to abandon everything that helps you to feel like you're enough, everything that sort of props you up and makes you feel solid and makes you feel like you're going to make it home on your own. He invites you to abandon all those things and follow him. And and simply rely upon him and trust in him and believe in him and believe that he is the one who will ultimately get you home. You see, we all have to sort of face that same question. Is God enough? Is God enough? Every day we we, we even make that decision with with, with the decisions that we make about what we do in this life. Is God enough? And sometimes I choose and I say, no, something else is enough, right? (laughs) It's this relationship, it's this thing, it's my wealth, it's my pursuit of a career, it's it's this stuff, it's it's something that's not so good, it's something that that is good, but really I, I put too much emphasis on that. We're all sort of faced with this notion of is God enough? And sometimes we choose something else besides God as being enough. Jesus is enough to get us home. Jesus is enough to get us to where we ultimately want to be. Go to Matthew 19.27 because Peter also chimes in on this conversation with Jesus. It's very interesting what he says because he's, he's acknowledging. He's, he's saying, hey, hey, you know what, God, this is what we've done. And, and I love the response of Jesus. Matthew 19.27, he says, Peter answered him, we have left everything. He says, we have left everything. We're not depending upon any of this stuff, this earthly, temporal, temporary stuff, God. We have left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? <laughs> I mean, there is this sense that, that we give up and we sacrifice and we, we abandon those things that sort of give us comfort and make us feel like we're enough. And then you're sort of left wondering, what on earth will there be for us? And Jesus gives this great response in 19, chapter 19, verses 28 through 29. Jesus said to them, truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things... This is when we get home. When the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife, all the sacrifices you made or children or fields for my sake, when we abandon those things for my sake, will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life crazy thing is you don't have enough and you can, you could never have enough that's just the point of the whole thing but the truth of the matter is you can come to know the one who has enough you can come to know and rely upon and believe in and trust in the one who has everything and every, every sense of sacrifice and loss that you think that you're, the stuff that you're giving up here, the God of the universe, when we get home, says, I will reward you beyond what you could ever even begin to imagine. So the goal of this life is to go on a fierce decluttering, decluttering, you should come to my house and see my garage, it needs to be decluttered. Work be at Pastor Bernie's house. Hey. No. <laughs> we need a fierce decluttering of anything 
we're hanging on to to make our lives feel full and give us the false notion that what I have will get me to the final destination. Go through your life, do an inventory and say, what needs to be abandoned and laid aside because ultimately, I want to get home. And if getting home means that I have to do away with this and completely rely upon God, then so be it. I will let go. Jesus offers more commentary on the rich guy, on on being wealthy. And again, wealthy applies to all of us because we all have access to things. And I was thinking about this the other day. He says that the, the wealthy guy can't, the rich guy can't make through the eye of the needle. And I was thinking, well... That's because the rich guy has so much stuff and he's so puffed up with stuff that he literally can't make it through the eye of the needle. And that doesn't mean just material things. That could mean things that we fill our hearts and our souls with to at least at some level make us feel like we're heading in the right direction, even if the motivations are pure. Then I came across this from John Piper. Uh, listen to this, this text because I just want to wrap, wrap us up here with this. This is, really, this is really powerful. I like what he says. He said, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. Ah. You see, ultimately our purpose for being on this planet and for living out this life is to bring glory to God. We bring glory to God When we find our deepest sense of satisfaction in God and who he is and what he's about. And we rest in him and the reality of knowing that he is enough. Talk about peace. Talk about confidence. Talk about being able to have a life between now and when Jesus comes. It it, it takes away all the pressure to try and become enough when I know full well that Jesus is enough. So I want to challenge you with this. Go and think carefully, pray about what it is that just needs to be abandoned. What is it that's causing you sort of the distraction and the anxiety Constantly wondering if I am enough or if I'll have enough to make it to the end. And pray that God will give you the courage to sincerely follow him. Regardless of what it might cost you. Here's the thing. Pour everything into relationship with God. Don't fill any other tank. Fill it. Do, do the things that you do. Keep them in perspective. You got to do well in school. You got to achieve. You got to build wealth and give lots of it away. But at the end of the day, pour everything you have into your relationship with the God of the universe. And we will soon rest in the reality and the knowledge of the fact that Jesus, that God is indeed enough. I invite you to pray with me. Father, Whoever, uh, Lord, here under the sound of my voice, who struggles with the confidence of knowing that you are enough, I pray that you would speak directly to their hearts and minds in these moments. Father, I pray that you would help us to find peace in knowing 
that because you came and because you became sin for us, because you took our place, because you carried the burden of our sins, we don't have to measure up because you measured up. And you come and you stand by us and you stand in front of us. And so when we're seen, we're seen as being your friends. And therefore, God, there's no deficiencies with us. We are enough. And so, Father, may it be enough for us to rest in that reality so that when you return, when you return, well, we won't run out, but we'll run towards you and you'll take us home. In Jesus' name, amen.